0: Welcome, everybody, to Self-Evident Podcast. It's Massey and Mike. What's going on, guys? (laughs) It's the 19th podcast. 19. 19. Man, bro, we're on 19. And, And what excites me about that is we haven't stopped. There's so many issues to hit. If you guys didn't check out last week's podcast, we talked about Pastor John Gray and the debacle. Dun, dun, dun. The debacle. How much money can a pastor really have? And where is it found in scripture? and how much he was accused. So check that out, guys. If you go on the YouTube channel, uh, you guys can see we just uploaded it today. It's going to be awesome. Yep. And here this week, we actually have a, a very special guest. Um, can I call you my boss? You can. He's my boss. boss. He's my boss. This is actually Pastor Todd. If you guys you look in that camera right there, it's Pastor Todd. He's the pastor of Revive Church here in Stewart, Florida. And uh, I came on board in February to help uh, pastor of the Young Adults, the Devoted Young Adults. And if you guys haven't checked that Facebook page out, please do. And uh, so I, I was brought on just to do that. And then he had this crazy idea of saying, hey, you should be the Connections Pastor too, because people like you. And I was like, well, okay, I sort of like them. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love people, man. It's great. So, uh, Pastor, I'm so thankful that you're here. Uh, we have a lot to discuss, but thank you for coming on. Glad to be here, but I don't remember saying they liked you. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Anything to add to that? You've been silent.
1: No, I kind of agree with him. I mean,
0: <laughs> you've got the job. I've but... got the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how it goes. Boy, it's really getting hot in here. I don't understand it, but... It's all on you now. It is on me, man. So listen, we, we wanted to, to interview you, Pastor, because I think... How do I say this? Most of the time, and I hate this too, a lot of people that I come in contact with when I travel and I preach, everywhere I go, I hear, if the church was doing their job, if the church was doing... Their, and there's all these complaints, and it's the church, the church, the church, the church. And um, I've known you for, uh, it's coming up two and a half years, I think. I've seen nothing but good works, you know, a, a reputable name. I've seen where you hold the Word of God and the Spirit in high esteem. We, we Here at the church, that's the mission statement, putting the Word and the Spirit together. And so I kind of want to hear from you today. Like, there's a lot of issues facing our country that obviously I go and might go talking about. But from a pastor's perspective, one who's always here, dealing with the people every day, we wanted to ask you, we wanted to get your comments and your feedback on all this stuff. So um, I'm going to start it off by... Pastor, I want to know who you are. Who is this guy? Who am I? Who's this guy? <laughs>
2: What's
1: your name? Where were you born? Yeah, social security number, all that food? stuff. Yeah, yeah tape. Tape.
0: maybe we should get into
2: relevant information. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a guy chosen for a time and a place. Amen. Uh, and that's really that's really the extent of it. An unqualified put in a position guy, uh, doing my best to uh, wade my way through <laughs> what God's doing uh, in me, through me, and around me, and in the process. Uh, trying to lead everybody else through it too. So, Amen. Uh, I have I have no claims to fame. Uh, you know, if you go to our website, you'll see I've got all the boxes checked as far as degrees and 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 family and raised in a church and all those kind of things. But the reality is, uh, I'm an unqualified guy who God said, "This is your time and this is your place and this
0: is how I'm going to use you." And I said, "Okay." Right. But here's the cool thing. So, like you know, I grew up Pentecostal, and it's like you know the banner waving, jumping chair. Type people who are running up and down the aisles, mm-hmm. right? And I grew up in the flaky stuff. So I left it. I mean, I, I was like, okay. I mean, it's just not real or evident to me right now. I didn't experience the Holy Spirit, if you will. I didn't, I didn't have a touch until I was 21 when God just rocked my world. When I came here, it was like y'all preach on this stuff, and I'd already experienced it. I operated in the prophetic, the gifts of the spirit and all these things, but it wasn't flaky. Like, and I think you do a really good job of like, hey, let's not get weird about this, right? But I think just being unqualified qualifies you to do it right because I think sometimes Charles Finney, president of Oberlin College in the 1800s, he would say sometimes he wondered that people who would go to seminary came up more twofold to Son of Hell because it was all in here and not in here. Yeah. And that's a, that's a harsh quote. It really is. But can you explain why the mission statement is the way it is at Revive? Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, to go back to your statement about seminaries, I think they're just denominational training grounds. Sure. Uh, but as far as the Word and the Spirit coming together revive, it's birthed out of uh, my uh, upbringing in extremely conservative denominations. Word? Baptist? Uh, I mean, uh, all the way back to Church of Christ. Uh, hmm. Then through Baptist So if you know much about the Church of Christ It really doesn't get I mean, it can get more conservative than that But it's pretty much the conservative of the conservative I mean, the Baptists look at them and say Wow, you guys are conservative hmm. So um, growing up and coming through that uh, About um, five years ago uh, I take a trip down to Bogota, Colombia For a pastor's conference I want to talk about that too. Worldwide conference kind of thing uh, Get baptized in the Spirit It turns everything around Um the church I was pastoring at the time said, hey, we don't want any part of that, so we want you to leave. <laughs> uh, asked the Holy Spirit what to do about that. He said, walk away. I uh, had no idea what I was supposed to do after that. I actually thought about going back into a, a previous life, meaning uh, I was in manufacturing before I was in in ministry. Thought I was just going to go back into that. Uh, And then one day he said, it's time. Now open this thing, but this is what I want you to do. I need a church that is grounded in the Word, that understands Scripture, that digs into doctrine, the the whole theology side of things, really understand what is the layout of this. But I need the power of the Holy Spirit put back into the process uh, so that uh, people can realize what the church is supposed to be. It is supposed to be uh, a wisdom and knowledge-based place full of the power of the miraculous and the spirit. Yep. Uh, so that uh, when we when we try to portray to the world what Christianity is about, it's not about learning a new set of rules so you can be a good moral person. It's about being moved and guided by this powerful Holy Spirit to enact what you have read and what you have seen. Amen. So um, if you're like me, you're not like me because you grew up in a different place than I did. Uh, but the place I grew up in was, was a whole lot of Bible study and a whole lot of learning, but nothing that changed my life. Because mm. the reality is, the word without the spirit is knowledge. It's a dead letter. The Bible yeah. says pretty much. How do and how do you think that
1: happened? You would think going through Scripture, going delving into the Word, seeing all of the miraculous, the spiritual movement of the Church, yet so many denominations that that draw towards. Scripture and, and theology tend to, like you said, start to leave the spiritual side of it, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit. How? Do, why do you think that happened?
2: I, I think there's really two reasons. Uh, one is, if you're going to um, dwell into the study uh, that's called cessationism, that, that all of that miraculous was part of an apostolic dispensation and it was really just meant to launch the church, Uh, I think um, the difficulty of that belief is there's absolutely nothing that would indicate that the apostolic time was a dispensation that came to an end and got replaced by something else. The reality is the apostolic time was the birth of the church under the new covenant and we remain in that same place they were in. Uh, So first would be if you study yourself out of the power of the spirit in our life. The second one, and probably the more prevalent one is the spirit tends to be unexplainable sometimes. And that gets people out of comfort zones and out of safety places and, and makes them do things like speak in another language that they don't understand and, and uh, miraculously heal people which they're unaccustomed to and they don't think that's normal. And and you begin to uh, wonder, can people actually get a prophetic word from God? Can you hear from God? Well, if you can hear from God, you need to take a pill and see a psychiatrist, <laughs> you know, because that's kind of bizarre. So between studying the power of the Holy Spirit away and shying away uh, from a mar- miraculous power that is oftentimes surprising and and, and difficult to explain, uh, it creates this polarization in Christendom. Where half of the group says, all all you want to do over there is have an emotional feeling and some kind of experience, and you don't want to dig into the Word. And the other side is saying, well, yeah, what we want is this amazing power, and, and we want these experiences, but the truth is, we don't really care if they're based in the Word because we're following the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So you get this polarization that happens, and, and when God called us, called me specifically, literally, in the middle of the night at 1.38 a.m., said, get up. And write this down. I want a church that puts the word of God and the spirit of God back together. Uh, that became the goal. I mean, that became yeah. what, what we're designed to do was try to move in the spirit on the foundation of the word. Right. Um, and if I can, if you don't mind, yeah. Um, for those who struggle with the word, uh, the example uh, I like to use is what would have happened... On the day of Pentecost, which we all know to be a pretty extravagant day, right? I mean, the, yeah. there's a sound of the rushing wind. I believe the Ruach breath of God blows through, and tongues of fire come and lands on the head, and they start speaking another language. What would have happened that day if Peter, who knew the scripture well, had said, I don't see anywhere in scripture that fire mm-hmm. lands on the top of people's heads. So this is of wow. the devil and we need to run away from this. Yeah, so good. what ends up happening <laughs> is you have to read scripture and understand the character of God. You have to understand that fire is a, a representative thing to God. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you understand his character and how he wants to move and the fact that the Holy Spirit goes from something that dwells in a temple to dwelling in you, then these kind of things are God, and you don't have to. You don't have to try to say no, God. You can't do anything unless it's already been written down. But when something does happen, you can measure it against what's written down and say, "Yes, this makes sense. This is the character of God. Yeah. What's happening?" Yeah. Yeah. Which
1: I mean, that's that's a perfect way to describe it. I've, I've, when I've described it to people, I've described the Bible's not the. I want to be careful how I choose my words because I know I can be of course pulled out of context. But the Bible's not the only way god has has done things or ever will do things i mean the bible explicitly states look all the things that jesus did these would fill many books so the idea is the bible shows us what god's character is god's personality is therefore when new events happen, we can weigh it against what's God's character, what has God done previously, not does this match up perfectly. you know, you know It's I mean? good.
2: I, I think another way to express that is if you look at the, the law, the Old yeah. Testament law, uh, 613 rules, okay? Follow these rules. A man could never do it. Christ comes to replace that. And he comes and he says things like, hey, this is not about committing adultery. It's mm. about thinking about mm. it in your heart. And so he tells us, Paul does in scripture, that the, the Old Testament law was actually a tutor. It, it was actually a training tool for us to learn to walk out God, to walk out and, and to understand why those rules were in place. I, I liken it to, you know, I have two daughters that, that are already raised and out of my home. Uh, and, and when they were at home, we had a rule. And the rule was you are home in this house by 11 o'clock. And listen, if you're not home by 11 o'clock, it's a problem. There will be some kind of consequence, some kind of discipline, because that's the law in my house, okay? 11 o'clock, you're home. So I'm using that to teach them the importance of not being wasteful with their time, not being out at an hour they don't need to be, watching for trouble, watching for danger, finding a place of security at home each night. Now, they leave the home. If my daughter, a year after she's left my home, calls me up and say, Dad, you'd be so proud of me tonight. I'm home by 11 o'clock. But on the way home, I passed by this car that was on the side of the road and it was raining and a lady with a stroller had obviously run out of gas and she was on her way to the gas station. But Dad, I came home because I'm home at 11 o'clock. I said, you didn't learn anything. You didn't learn anything from what I tried to teach you. Yes, I want you home at 11, but it's more important to have helped that lady than, than meet this rule. Mm-hmm. I think the law and the New covenant's the same way. I've learned from the law it's a tutor, but it's a set of rules. Under the New Covenant, I'm supposed to understand why those things were there and begin to apply them in my walk in a way that's not following a set of rules, but understanding character of God and why he said it's important not to do these things.
0: I think that's why the two the two get so separated and misconstrued. So like the Spirit, for example, will not lead you to sin. Romans 8 is pretty clear, Romans no. 9, Romans 6. So it's like if you're in the Spirit and you do all these things in the miraculous, you won't go out... And, and the reason why I think I was so turned off by the Pentecostal psycho... call it psycho movement because it was really a lot of good action... But then all of a sudden they would gossip about each other. They would lie about each other. There was just this endless sin. And my mom and I would talk about it a lot. It's like I, this doesn't make any sense. If these people are preaching the word of God and they're supposed to be Jesus Christ, and they're doing this, and I could see it. It was it was prevalent in in the church. I was like, well, what's the point in serving the Spirit if it, you know? And but this, of course, I was speaking as a kid. Yeah. What's the point in serving the Spirit if nothing changes? If they're just as bad as the world? What's the point? Yeah. Now little did I know it's like. You know, have you ever seen a fat person at a gym that doesn't deter you from going to the gym? You're going there for you, right? So I learned that later on. I think the hard thing to reconcile is like, you know, the scripture says that the natural man won't receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're spiritually discerned. So it's like when you're talking in the world, you know, you just said it. It's so hard. I shouldn't say hard. It's difficult to describe the move of the Spirit because they just will not understand it. And I believe that's why a lot of the world... Runs to that, it's just a fairy tale. Yeah. Right. But they'll run to an evolution book, which is just as so much of a fairy tale.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And the whole one of the reasons I wanted to, to, to chat about just the specific issue uh, Bogota came up. Yeah. And I just went there. Now, y'all know <laughs> you've, you've heard me speak. I, I operate prophetically, I understand it, but I was never a big believer in the whole knocking me down thing. It just all that stuff. Like, And it wasn't even flaky, bro. Like, I showed up there, and I was totally open, and I said, Lord, if you want to do it, you want to do it. And there was something there, bro. When you see three services where like one service has like 20,000, another service has like 17,000, another service has like 15,000, 7,000 people are getting baptized on a Sunday, and they're bum-rushing the stage to receive yeah. Jesus or to get a touch from Christ, that ain't fake, bro. Like It was real. I remember being called on stage, and I kind of want to set the premise because when you had told me to go there, it was like I think uh, I don't know if this was the plan, but it was like t- for me to experience a new side of the Lord. Like, and ever since then, it's like I've seen new things of God. And and so when I went there, I remember the I, I the, the they called us up on stage. There's such a reverence there if you're from a different country, and especially for you. But like they called us up on stage, and I remember the one of the sons prayed for me. The next night it was his wife that prayed for me, and then he prayed, the main pastor prayed for me twice. All four times, bro. The second time I like hit the floor and I couldn't physically tried to get up. I could not get up. It was the craziest thing I'd ever experienced, but nothing. I wasn't thinking about sin. I wasn't thinking about unrighteousness. I was thinking about Lord. You've, sh- you've shown me now that this power wants me. I want to return. I want to get to you. I want to know what this means. And, I, and, and, and wh- I'm talking about this because there's people out there that watch the show that are Christian. They've never experienced the Holy Spirit. Can you tell me what happened when you were in Bogota the first time? Because you kind of had that similar story. I really want to get into this because this is crazy. Yeah. And you'll never believe it until you experience it. Straight up. You'll never you'll never understand it until you experience it. You know? Uh, okay, so it looked like this. And we'll get into real topics after this. That's It's a real topic. It is a real topic. You know what? You're right. It's a real topic.
2: I go to Bogota the first time on an invitation. Uh, I get there, and I'm at a conference with pastors All over the world, literally 28,000 pastors from all over the world. Crazy. and um, It's a warehouse, bro. It's an old warehouse. It's actually a furniture warehouse. It's like a 28-foot ceiling, and it's probably 150,000 square feet. Uh, And it is a sea of plastic lawn chairs. Whoa. I mean, the entire seating is all just plastic chairs that you would put on your back patio. Anyways, that being said... um, it's a very long story, which you can go to the website and, and see or the Revive Facebook us page us and, and, and see the uh, hear the actual story. But to get down to that one topic that you're talking about, uh, I had gone in June uh, originally, uh, and I was very enamored by the place. And, 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 and this baptism of the Spirit happened, and I, I wasn't real sure about all this, because all of a sudden there was a newness, there was a freshness, there was a, hey, a whole world just got opened up to me, I need mm. to understand. And they ask us to come back, and the reason they ask us to come back back is because it's very difficult for them on a conference weekend to speak with us, and they wanted to specifically talk to us, which I can tell you about why. But the bottom line is they ask us to come back on a regular weekend. We went back on a regular weekend. Uh, And while I'm there, uh, I know that one of the things that I did not grow up with, but that I had seen and wanted to understand was this falling out in the spirit. What does that mean? You know, why does that happen to people? How does that work? What is that about? So my goal was to go back in Scripture, see if there was basis for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, how many times are people in fear uh, because of their reverence of God, that, uh, you know, the, that the cloud comes down on the temple and they yeah. can't serve because they're on the, the floor, ground? Yeah. Fall on the the face that horse. Jesus says, I am he, and the soldiers fall on the ground. I mean, going to your knees, going to the ground yeah. in the presence of God is nothing unusual or out of character in Scripture. So I went... Uh, With the expressed intent of saying, I want to meet with this pastor, and one of the questions I want to ask him is, what is this falling in the Spirit about? I I don't know what it's about, and I'd like to understand it. Well, they have a Friday night service and a Sunday morning service. He was supposed to be there Friday night. But he was in New York on Thursday, and they missed their flight, so he didn't show up on Friday night. So his son preached, and we spent some time with his son, but I wanted to ask him, so I had to wait till Sunday morning. Well, as it turned out, we were not going to get to meet with Pastor Ricardo until after the service on Sunday. Hmm. But during the service on Sunday, he calls me up on stage because he's going to pray for me. And I'm standing in front of 20,000 people, and he's up at the front ministering to all the people who have responded to the altar call. Uh, And I know he's about to come back And he's going to pray for me. And when this guy prays for people, they fall down. I'm thinking, okay, God, I'm here. I'm not afraid. I want to understand this. And if this happens today, then it happens. And at least I would know it was substantial because it happened. You know, it's kind of like you can hear about it, but till you experience it, you can't really validate it. So all I said to the Lord was, I'm not afraid. I believe this is of you. But if you need me to understand it, then I'm happy to experience it. Okay? Now... There's about 20 or 25 feet between the front of the stage and the back of the stage. And he starts walking back. And this is what goes through my mind. I had talked to a member of our church about being slain in the Spirit, because this guy grew up charismatic and Pentecostal, and and he was familiar with it. And this is what he told me. He said, the first time it happened to me, I did a courtesy fall. (laughs) he said this guy brought up nine people of which i was number nine and he prayed for the other eight and they all fell so when it came to me i wasn't going to be the only one standing (laughs) so when he started praying i fell over now listen this is what i thought this is what i thought it has never happened to me I don't know if everybody courtesy falls and something happens when you get to the floor because he said, I did a courtesy fall, but when I got to the floor, I felt these waves of peace coming over me and the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and I was like, okay, so this guy's walking toward me to pray for me and sure enough, what goes through my mind is, well, maybe you're supposed to fall down and then something happens. He prays for me, I fall down. Now, not because of his prayer, because I did a courtesy fall. So now I'm laying on the stage on my back with twenty thousand people looking at me, and and I'm I'm telling God, okay, I don't get it. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm just laying here and nothing's going on. What is this about? But then I tried to get up. (laughs) I couldn't. I could not pull myself off of the floor. It was, and the best way I can describe it is like I was somehow made of metal, and there was a massive magnet under the stage. I was stuck to the floor. And all I could think in my mind at the time is, this is it? This is what everybody thinks is such an amazing thing to get stuck to the floor. (laughs) And and so, uh, as I laid there, then the Holy Spirit started speaking to me, and and our conversation kind of went like this. I said, this is what they're expecting? And he said, is something happening? I said, absolutely. I can't get up. I'm stuck. (laughs) He said, okay, then it's real. I said, okay, it's real. Let me get up. No, And I laid there for a good 15 minutes, my wife will tell you. And about every three or four minutes, I would try to get up. And I could not pull my hands off the stage. I couldn't pull my head up. I couldn't sit up. And so finally, I started laughing. I was like, this is crazy. I'm laying on the stage in front of 20,000 people. Nothing is going on other than I'm stuck to the stage. And the Holy Spirit's telling me this is proof enough, right? And I'm saying, yes, it's proof enough. And I, and I, I said out loud, I guess I'll get up when you let me. Boom, came right off of me, came right off of me in that instant, that, that way. Now, it was never oppressive. It was never scary. It was just, I needed to prove to you that this is a real experience got up from there. Now listen, I've had people pray for me a hundred times since then. And uh, one time I had uh, John and Carol Arnott pray for me. And you may know them, you may not, mm-hmm. uh, but they were all part of the Toronto blessing. They were the pastors oh. of the church at the time of the Toronto blessing. And, and this was down in West Palm. I'm standing in a line of people getting prayed for, and people are falling out. And, you know, John's coming by and he's praying for everybody. But I'm one of those guys that's like, I'm not going to fake this anymore. I know it's real. So if it happens, it happens. John comes by and prays for me, absolutely nothing happens. He walks by. His wife is following him, praying for everybody. And so as soon as he moves on, she steps right in front of me, looks right in my eyes and says, you wonder why you don't fall down, don't you? And I said, well, you know, I'm curious as to why everybody else has this experience and I don't. And her response was, neither does John. He's never fallen out in the spirit. And she said, we both believe it's because there are people who need the experience and people who don't. People whose faith won't be shaken or changed, whether or not they fall out or not. And and so she said, oftentimes, people need a touch in order to increase their faith and move forward, but those who don't need that touch in order to increase their faith or move forward, then they don't fall down. Truth. And, And so... You know, I'd love to experience what the other people are experiencing, but the truth is, apart from that experience on that stage uh, and one other time when the same pastor prayed for me, and I have no idea what happened, he walked toward me and he yelled, fire, and I was looking at the ceiling. And I even went back and watched the video, and I don't know what happened other than I just hit the floor and I got right back up. Uh, so you know it's 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 a unique experience in 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 the Holy Spirit I believe in it I believe it's real I believe it's tangible I believe it's necessary I believe for some people it's important yeah. and I believe the Holy Spirit decides and there's like
0: tongues or prophecy not all will prophesy not all will speak in tongues but those that do there do, you go you know and it's and that was kind of the other thing. It never, shaked, it never shook my faith. Right. You know what I mean? I was still doing ministry, I was still, and I was still prophesying. None of that really shook my faith. It's just like, I don't want to speak against something that I don't know. Right. And I remember I had a couple questions. If you remember, before we even talked, it was like, what about this falling out thing, man? What does this mean? Yeah. <laughs> and you were like, I can't explain it to you, kid. You just got to go experience and, it. And,
2: and I, think, I think when you haven't experienced it, and I'm, I'm not saying there's a secret club of people who have, But when you haven't, just like me, you're just curious. It's like, what is this? How does it relate? What do we do? And it's easy to stigmatize it and say, well, that's some kind of charismatic, weird thing. But the reality is when someone prays for you, and listen, I've had... Probably hundreds of people fall out when I pray for them. I have no idea what's going on. I'm just praying what I'm supposed to pray, and next thing you know, they're not in front of me, they're on the floor. <laughs> and, and and they'll get up, and they'll say, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit said this to me, or I felt this, or waves of peace came over yep. me, or whatever. I think it's awesome. Amen. It's
1: hilarious that this conversation's being had right now, because just earlier, two hours ago, I was talking to Carrie about this, and we were talking about people being slain in the spirit and, and you completely answered it because I was telling her, I'm like, look, I know it's a true occurrence for some people. Like I obviously trust you. I trust massive. Yeah. Like you guys are telling the truth when you say I've had this real experience, but I never
0: had it again. You know, so it's, it's, <laughs> but, it's, yeah. it's the craziest thing, but, but, but maybe, cool. maybe all he
2: needed to do was, sh- was validate it for you, validate it for you. That you. It's totally. there, you
1: know, and they're, they're, I've wondered about how many people do it because other people are doing Listen, it. Listen, that's which, happening. Which that's it's happening. happening.
2: Clearly, that's happening. But
1: that doesn't tell me that it's not true, right? Yeah. And so she and I were just having this discussion about like we we know it's real. We know it's true. It's it's one of those curious phenomenons that that happens within the Pentecostal church. Which yeah. then then you get into you know the abuses of of spiritual events. Listen, there,
2: there is as much abuse in the charismatic and Pentecostal realm in churches as there is in the legalistic scripture based church. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's just a different kind of abuse. Uh, So, you know, uh, you made a comment earlier that I think is the summation of it all. Um, If you're in the spirit, if the spirit dwells in you, Um, then you should have a discernment in you in the spirit. In other words, you should know this does not hit my spirit right. Mm -hmm. Something is fake. Something is not believable. Something is not true to Scripture. On the converse side, even though I don't understand it, I somehow know in my spirit this is right and this is okay. And and the best way I could say that to somebody who's not dealing with the charismatic world is it's no different than when you meet somebody and for some reason, you think, I just like this person. Okay. There's just something that connects sure. with me and them. It feels good to be around them. I want to get to know them better. And then there's some people you think, in 30 seconds, I know, I just don't want to be around you, <laughs> yeah. you know? Maybe it's, I mean, it's something you said. Perhaps maybe maybe it's just the way? way you said it. Maybe, you know. Really? You know, but kidding. you know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm totally kidding. It's you, the man. same way in the Spirit. Um, it's, it's how you measure things in the Spirit with that discernment of the
0: Spirit. I'll tell you what, bro. You know what else it brought me down there? Crepe and waffle. <laughs> that restaurant, bro, was legit. Y'all, if you ain't ever been, go to Bogota. Look up this place called Crepe and Waffle. The best desserts crepe. I mean, dude, they had this uh what beef stroganoff crepe thing. Oh my gosh. Ridiculously good. It's got like a mustard really? sauce in it, dude. It's crazy. Instead and of it-
2: pasta, it's a crepe that's got beef and a kind of a mustard brown oh, gravy over it is ridiculously good,
0: Bruh, ridiculously good. You know, I'm beginning to think I didn't get up. I'm beginning to think I didn't get up from the ground because I'm like three plus, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> some people are like, I know why you didn't get up. Yeah, great. Well, wow, yeah, yeah, you can't get up. Yeah. No, I mean, but for real, like, it, oh, it was such a beautiful area. I mean, so to, to, to tie all this in, I mean, and I kind of want you to lead the, you know, the next kind of portions of this, to tie all of it in, so, 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 being here has taught me a lot. Like I've never pastored, you know. Like you said, I'm unqualified. I don't know how many times I've told you.
2: Isn't it great?
0: Yeah. is it? Yes. It I, is. I mean, when
2: when you take when a hold of it down. and realize I can't do this, and you've got to lead me, or, totally. or we don't get anywhere, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Yep. And 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 sometimes, and I don't know why I'm shaped this way, in a sense, but I kind of feel that God lets me learn through not. It's not failure, but it's just a not that way not that way not that way not that way and it's because i i need to know those areas in my life i need to know strictly just don't do that whereas other people he can download something and say just do it this way i don't know why sometimes for me it's just a little different but being here i've learned and seen the character you really do hit issues that are some would call and it's stupid to call them controversial they've been around for six thousand years right the whole homosexual agenda, the the, the you know uh, battered women, broken homes, all these things. You've you've done pornography. I mean, that's a big one still. Now here's some hope. I actually read this article that men are leaving it by the thousands now, and I think it's just because there's a lot more teaching yeah. on the severity of pornography. As a Matter of fact, I sat with a couple today, and she said, you know, my husband and I were addicted to drugs and to weed. She said, but you wouldn't know anything about that. You've never been addicted to drugs. And I said, but I was addicted to pornography for two years. And I'll tell you what, that's the uh, it's a hard thing to confess yeah. to your wife, you know what I mean, Yeah. that, that you did it. And uh, so you, you, you realize what sin can do to your life and what it can do to your kids and your family. Yeah. And so <clears throat> one of the other reasons I wanted you... Ah, forgive me for that. One of the other reasons I wanted you to come on was because... Do I need to forgive you for getting real? No, no, no. I just, you know, you, you try to stay on a train of thought. And, uh, you know, if you're dealing with it, I just, I got to go with this one. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of hope. You, you'll never change it until you know it's an issue, until it's a sin. Um, to you, it may be a joke, but it's not. To you, it may be something you can t- cast away, but it's not. Um, that, that sin will rope you, man. And Proverbs even talks about strange women and all these things. You know, lust is the only sin in Scripture where that literally tells you twice to flee from it. There you go. And, uh, and, and run, run from it, um, because it won't just destroy you and your mind and your spiritual walk. It'll destroy the trust you have with your wife and your kids pick up spiritual things, man. They yeah. just pick up everything. And I know you, had. I think you had dealt with it too. Hmm. And uh, I want to know, I want you to know that there's redemption in Christ. Absolutely. But it's when you lay it at the cross and you can't pussyfoot around with it. You have to lay it all down and say, Lord, I love this sin and I crave it. Lord, you would created me with a new nature. Lord, take it from me. And I'm telling you, when you confess it for real, not just, I hate this sin bullcrap. You love it. That's why you do it. It's when you get real with Christ that he takes it from you and it may be step by step. It may be in one night. It may be through a prayer. Um, It may be through, this happened for me, my wife, every single night when I confess, ah. Yeah, um, I remember when I told her. Every night after that, she kept telling me she was proud of me. And um, I, I needed that to continue my prayer with the Lord. And I went a season without preaching for like six months because I was still a Christian. And uh, <clears throat> I just, I don't even know how it happened or what. I just had no desire for it anymore. I just didn't have the same yeah. pull to it. Now, there's temptations that come. And it's funny because it happens once a month. I can feel it. I know the day when it's coming. And, you know, you just stay away from things. and You just keep your mind focused on Christ. But I was delivered from it. And so can you. And if you want to delve into it, you can' it's, it's, uh... no I, you know
2: I, it, it is it is a topic that e- even today I heard statistics that 70 percent of men in church are roped into some level of pornography yeah and that 20 percent of women in church are roped into some level of pornography, some level of addiction, if you will. Uh, and it is a truly rampant Issue uh, in Christianity. It's good to hear things like people are fleeing from it because, uh, you know, I I think uh, what I've seen in dealing with different men over the issue uh, is there will be some linchpin in your understanding that finally releases you, where you say, I'm looking at somebody's sister, somebody's daughter, or, mm. or um, uh, you know, what do I think of guys who run in the middle of the night and and look on a computer at pornography when they got a wife laying in their bed that's such a weaselly, lousy thing? And then you think, wait a minute, that's me. I'm doing that. And, and boom, that thing breaks. Uh, I think probably the, if I were to offer, not in the way of, of solving everybody's problem, but if I would offer what I think is the most important key is when you get to the place where God is your accountability for pornography. When you truly decide, Listen God, if I'm going to look, I want it to be in front of you. Oof. <laughs> I don't know a man today who is sealed spirit. with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption that can say that and do that, okay? Mm. Now, I'm not saying we won't ever fall. I'm saying I got tired of accountability systems and talking to my buddies about it and Which reading about it and hearing about it.
0: spirit in a sense. It's yeah. totally like depending on yeah. you. Yeah,
2: and so then, then you just stopped and said, and then again, for me, it was, this is 20 years ago, uh, but it was... I want to, and this is, this is um, I, don't, I don't know how far into the subject we want to go. Might as well hit it. But this was my tactic. I said, every time I do this, God, I feel lousy about me. I wish that I hadn't wasted that hour or two hours. I wish that I, had, I wish that I didn't have the record that I'm going back, and I feel miserable about myself. And so this was my prayer. Would you please make me feel that way? anytime I think about looking. Mm. Mm. So then all of a sudden, and you say, what a horrible way to do this because you just want all the shame and guilt on you but do it. But what it did was wake me up to the fact that there's a reason why you flee from it yeah. and that you do have the power to. And for me, it was a whatever it takes, God, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. So I've got to find a way to bring you in because you're the only accountability I can't bluff. Yeah. I could have bluffed my wife. I could have bluffed my friends when they called and said, did you look at anything today? I could, oh, no, I didn't when I did. But I couldn't do that before God. So before God, when he became my accountability, whenever I thought about it, I thought, me and you aren't going to watch that. Yeah. Me and you aren't sitting down with yeah. the computer today, God.
0: You told me a story yesterday. I won't get into details, but I remember you telling a gentleman, it's not, that, it's not what you did. It's that you did it before God. Yeah. And you offended God. Not yeah. me, not yeah. the church, not... Yeah. It's not letting me down. Yeah, You've sinned against a holy God. And even David, man, when he prayed Psalm 51, and against thee and thee only have I sinned and committed this evil against you. Against you, Lord. Yeah. And and I think when you make the prayer like that, instead of, guys, I'm good. See, I didn't, you know, I understand. I'm sorry. It's has nothing to do with the the, the horizontal. Yeah. It's all vertical. That's exactly it.
2: And, and I think the key is getting your accountability to a vertical place where this is, if I'm going to do it, it's going to be before God. Is this something I should be doing before God? God doesn't want to no. know. Quite honestly, for me, I'm also thinking about what is God's rightful response if I choose to? In other words, what blessing am I taking myself out of? What consequence am I asking for if I'm going to move forward? And when I realized I'm missing out on joy, I'm missing out on peace, I'm missing out on revelation in the Scripture because mm-hmm. I want to look at this? No. I don't want those. I don't want the consequence of missing out on those. I want that blessing. I want God as my accountability. No, no.
0: I think, too, I, I, you can hit the no, point. No, no, no. I think, too, that sin, um, it hits men so prevalently. And I believe it's certain men that are supposed to be those, like, fathers that change the culture in their family or mm. change and break bondages. Because um, I've always felt uh, God's called me to be a mover. like a, I, I've told you this before. It's like I'm just a bulldozer and by nature. I just I just run things over. And that always hampered me. Whenever I got into that sin, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do what I was called to do, and, yeah. and I couldn't because I was so bound by it. Yeah. And a lot of the times, when young people come up to me and say, "Man, I'm dealing with pornography," I, I, immediately go to, and sometimes I see it without them telling me, and it's like I start talking about what kind of a father they're going to be and what kind of a father they should be, you know. And immediately they start going to, "Oh man, how can I do that if I'm in," you know. So I've helped a lot of men have gotten mm-hmm. out of it. And It's been five years, you know, since since I was in that. In that sense, go ahead and say yeah, what you're no, going
1: to say. No, I was gonna say for me, it's it's, it's six years, no with the fact of, of boy, how how is God viewing what I'm doing? Like this He's seeing everything I'm doing. Built in with that was I'm suffering the consequences of years of destruction that I've caused emotionally, physically, mentally, yeah. spiritually, right? Yeah. So I I've had years of, of trying to heal after this damage that's been done since I was 12. Yeah. Um, and I think what we have now is we've got a generation of men who have grown up with this their whole life since puberty or even before, and they're starting to realize the damage, real world damage and consequences that it causes, um, and, People, oh, it doesn't do anything. You know, you're just, you're looking on your computer at home. What does that hurt? (laughs) It actually does damage to your your brain, let alone your spirit, your soul, right? Like you, you, it's literally eating away at the parts of your brain that, um, control judgment and, and control decision-making and discernment. And when we look at the, the connection of the soul, of the body, you know, this, this Trinity, as you've described it, you know, there's a destruction that's happening on all levels, not just the spiritual, but also the physical. And, and so one of the things that I recognized or realized was like, Oh my goodness, I'm having real world consequences in my life because of this. And now I'm having to try and get back and heal and and grow off of this. I I,
2: I think, you know, (sighs) We step into the kingdom of God, okay? And in the kingdom of God, there's light and there's life and there's joy and there's peace and all of those things that we know they're in the kingdom. Uh, and, and and I kind of describe it this way, you know, if you're in the kingdom of light, but you want to put your foot back into the kingdom of darkness, then with your foot, you're creating the bridge for all of those things that are of darkness, Decay, destruction, evil, hate, depression, anxiety. You're creating the bridge to bring them back to you mm. by putting your foot over there. So you have to be careful where your foot treads. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want what it brings. It's not worth it to me to lose what I got to give up to put my foot over there and open that bridge up for that stuff to come back into my life.
0: I don't want it. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Which kind of leads me into this question. and I'd asked you about this before. <clears throat> since we're talking about like pornography sin yes. right um that in the in the digital age hmm. we have more sermons we have more uh, prophecy I suppose worship it's it hits us now more than ever I think you, you can't go around any place and not find a sermon on something really but then too on the equal side you see more sin in a lot of ways it's more uh it's even promoted in the government. It's promoted in media. It's promoted in, you know what I mean? How how does one, I think you know where I'm going, but like, how do we, I'm not saying it's on me. It's on the Lord. Like, he's just called me to preach. That's my job. You know, yeah. I can't fix the world. And that took me a long time to learn. You know, uh, it's it's hard It's hard to, to not be able to sleep because of kids who died from suicide. It's just really hard for me to, to let that down and, and put the sword down on that. But how do we, um, what is it as a pastor that you see? as a leader of a church, a leader of a, (laughs) I'll call it, bro, it's an apostolic thing, you know, but as a leader, how do you see this playing out? Like, you know, the faithfulness of the Lord, all these things which we see and I've I've experienced, but it's like, Lord, I don't want it just in here, man. I want to see it out there. Well, I I mean, to go back to your original comment,
2: uh, you guys, either one of you are really not old enough to recognize the fact that when I was a teenager, it wasn't available digitally. You had to go to a store and buy yeah. a magazine or go to a, a special store where you could buy a video or, or, you know, they get aftermarket and you find them that way. But there wasn't access on your computer. There wasn't access on your phone. Those things didn't exist. Now, you know, the seven-year-old can pick up a phone and get to pornography. It's not an issue. It's easy. So the prevalence of it is massive. And we can go after control systems, putting them on your phone, all that True. kind of stuff. But let's just be honest with you. You're just not going to shut it all out that way without just saying no phone, no internet, no whatever, you know, and... and, and, and it becomes that behavior modification, in yeah, a sense. Uh, the reality is the, the change comes in the heart. It comes in the soul. It comes in the spirit. When the, when, when, when the scripture says that the Holy Spirit came to convict us of our righteousness...
0: Oh, explain that. Explain that scripture. That's good. <laughs>
2: okay. That's good stuff. So we read in John 16 that Jesus says, okay, the Spirit is going to come, and he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But what most people miss, and, and if you don't mind, I'll just turn Go to that. or we'll just man. read
0: it straight out. Dude, when I heard this, I heard it a whole different way. I think I told you about that. I heard it a whole different way. He came to convict me of my sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's like all on me. But, dude, this is like... It like brought me through a loop.
2: Go ahead. No, here's what happens. We read this scripture and it says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the typical believer looks at that scripture and says, the Holy Spirit is going to convict me of my sin. He's going to somehow convict me of righteousness. In other words, he's going to tell me what I'm doing wrong and tell me what I should be doing. uh, And then he's going to convict me of judgment. So knowing that one day all of this is going to be measured and judged. So it's all on me. That's exactly okay? what it was. Then I read the rest of the scripture. And this is what it says. He, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe the world. Hmm. Right. So he's talking to the disciples. And he said that he's going to come and convict the world of sin because they do not believe. Then he says... And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. In other words, you need to be convicted of your righteousness, because I'm not going to be here. Huh. And because you don't Trip see you me anymore, anymore you need the Holy Spirit to remind you you're sanctified. You wear a robe of righteousness. I've cleansed you. I've washed you. I'm going to convict you of your righteousness. And y'all get the witness hey, on man. this. It's then he so goes bad. on to say, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So the judgment comment is for Satan, that it's Mm -hmm. over for you, buddy. The judgment is coming, but the judgment is for you. These are mine. I'm going to convict of their righteousness and everybody who doesn't believe I'm going to convict of sin so that they would believe. So now I walk my life saying, I have the Holy Spirit to convict me of my righteousness. So I don't walk trying to disconnect to, to um, disengage from sin and try to beat sin and try to get sin out of my life. I walk recognizing I'm righteous, I'm holy, I'm pure. Uh, I, I was talking to someone just the other day about, um, about marriage and the marriage relationship. And I think maybe you and I discussed it yep, a little bit. Yep, we did. But when you consider that Christ and the church is the groom and bride relationship, okay, and when we begin to look at the things of this world and sin, and we say, oh, I don't want to sin, I want to get that out of my life, and we don't recognize we're righteous, it's like we're looking at Jesus as our groom and saying, because you love me so much, I have the freedom to go have an adultery affair, Hmm. that makes no sense. What I want to say is because you love me so much, I have peace. I have authority. I have righteousness. I have strength. I have honor. I have integrity. I have courage because of you. So I want to run to you. I'm not running away from sin. Amen. I'm running to you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is convicting me of my right standing with God. Can you imagine what it would be like in the Christian world if people stop getting beat up and feeling guilty about sin and started feeling confidence in their righteousness? I don't have to fight sin. What I have to do is grab a hold of my righteousness, that God sees me as righteous, hidden in Christ. What does that enable me to do? It enables me to have peace. That's right. I don't have to beat myself up. I'm righteous before him. I, I don't have to feel bad about stuff. There's no more no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Listen, there's condemnation and there's conviction. Condemnation makes me feel bad about myself and what I've done. Conviction tells me there's a better, there's a more, there's a pure, there's a right, there's a righteous, there's a holy, and I want to go toward that. So what I want to do is I want to walk out my life convicted that I'm righteous. that way the enemy doesn't, I, I'm not going to give credit to the enemy because I'm so scared of you, man. I just don't want you beating up on me and I want you making me sin. I want you That's tempting exactly right, me. Man. I don't say that. I say, I just want to press into this glory. I want to press into this righteousness. I want to press into the conviction that you made me clean and therefore I can walk it out without having to
0: worry about falling. Amen. There's something about like, just there, there's so much in that. That's oh, why, yeah. right? But there, Yeah, it was like a witness on it. There's something about being, and I'm using this totally as an analogy, being a Jehoshaphat, sending the worshipers to fight the war instead of me trying to fight the battle. Is that
2: not a spiritual context statement that, hey, we're going to go against our enemy and the front line is going to be worshiping God?
0: Hmm. So send those guys.
2: Okay, (laughs) so I have an enemy out there called pornography on my computer, but you know what I'm going to do? Worship God. And that enemy is going to fall. Why? Amen. Because I'm worshiping God. That's exactly That's right. Because I'm righteous. Somebody, because that oh, connection man. is made because I've shown love to
0: my to my groom, you know? And you know what? It proves the power of God. You're proving, even when you pray, your prayers are different. Yeah. Like, because now you're trusting in the living God. You're not trusting. There's something about your big brother kicking butt. Yes. There's just something about someone defending you. Yeah. And he is the defender. And when you're in it, all of a sudden it overtakes you. You're like... I don't want any part of that. I know what he died for. I want to love him and serve him, right? The same way I would do with my wife. I want to love and honor and serve her because, dude, number one, she's put up with a lot of junk. Second, though, she loves me for me. Christ loved me for me. He picked me, man. He picked you. He picked us. I mean, that's an honor to serve. I just want to love him, and I want to obey him. And, dude, I want to see him move. You know what I mean? Because you said it earlier. Not even all the books in the world could contain the miracles that Christ said. He said, Greater work shall you do than I did because I go unto the Father. That's the God I'm after. Yeah. And it's it's beyond the sin stuff. It's beyond, and you know why I don't even know why that the whole pornography issue got so heavy. And I think it's good because we don't ever really we will hit sin issues, but that yeah. was that was that was real. And 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 the 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 where was I going with that? I know where I was going with it. <clears throat> I I don't know how do I say this? I've never had more faith in the bride of Christ than now. Whereas before I would say, man, why aren't we doing more? Yeah. I have now more. It's like a different, there's a different twist uh, on this. In my heart of hearts, I'm like, no, Lord, your bride's activated. We just need to learn how to do this now. Yeah. We're, We're there. Because it's funny, you never read in scripture where God used the majority to win his battles. So why I asked you the question was because... I think it's easy for us to say we need to get active, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to create. You know, that's where my mindset was. We need to build hospitals as the church, we need to build these facilities and all these things, or we can trust the living God, and He's going to put it on other people's hearts to do those things as we disciple and preach, yeah. as we continue to do the works of the Father. Yeah. Right. And I think too, I I kind of want to. If, if you want to go another direction, you can, because I'm I'm just talking here. No, right. Go forward. Um. One of the other things we had discussed, and you do this really cool thing. You talk about evolution, and it kind of leads into your gospel presentation and all these things when you preach. Um, that's another one: why more people, in a, in a sense, will believe the fairy tale of evolution, which is straight up a fairy tale. Well, you could call my religion a fairy tale; it's cool. I mean, I get it, right? Yeah. Where does God? I, I get this a lot from evolutionists and atheists. You know, well, if you don't think evolution's right, where did God come from? I don't know. God says that He is, and I have to believe that. But at least I call mine faith. You're calling yours a fact, and it's straight faith, bro. You don't even know what happened 10 years ago, let alone (laughs) a a billion, right? So can you explain the process of how you came to that, like your realization of, and I really want you to do that whole gospel thing, because like how you explain in the beginning of Genesis, why I'm asking you to do that is because we do it, but I think um, you have such a good, succinct way to do it, and there's just this proper order. Like there's a lot of people who listen to us that are somewhat on the verge of being Christian, and all of a sudden they come to Christ, and I've seen it happen two or three times at the show. But this is different. I kind of want to hear it from you. Like, explain evolution. Explain. I know, there's a lot in that.
2: So. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I think the process of getting to where my thoughts are on evolution was when you really think about the multiple systems in the body that all had to develop... Uh, for us to be who we are today, for them to each individually have to develop on their own. Uh, And I know you haven't heard me talk much about this, uh, but just look at the hearing system and all of the little bones and the way it works, and look at the eye system, and you think this primordial ooze began to develop. How did it have any idea there was something to see that made it develop an eye? Uh, How did it have any idea there was something to hear that made it develop an ear? But All of those things can somehow at some level be explained away by evolution, but the thing that can't be explained away that to me busts the whole thing, the whole thing for me gets busted in male and female. There is absolutely nothing, zero in evolution that would say a male and a female needs to get created. In other words, whatever this thing is that developed eventually says, we're going to continue our evolutionary track separately, and this one thing is going to be different about this track, and one thing is different about this track, and those two different things in those tracks have to come together in order to reproduce. Now, here's the problem. When you go into evolution and you talk about survival of the fittest, when you talk about environmental adaptation, Everything says don't depend on something else to, to move forward. Right, There'd be no reason for male and female. And yet the unique thing about the scripture is it says God created them. He created them male and female. It was like he was answering from the very beginning, the question of what bus this Evolution conversation. Here it is. I created them male and female. You try to explain with evolution how they are created male and female. So I see it this way. I see the scripture saying that God created a heaven and an earth. Uh, In other words, he creates this globe, and, and, and we can argue about time. We can argue about can he create something that looks like it already has age, Well, listen, if he created a man, he didn't create an embryo that somehow developed into a baby that became a a toddler and became a preteen and a teenager and then a man. He created it with age already on it. Now, I don't have to explain the age of the planet. What I'm saying is God created this and he puts man and woman out of it, out of love. Some people will tell you that God needed fellowship and that's what he desired. He loves fellowship with us, but he created us out of love. The proof of that is when he created all of this, he said, it's yours. I give you dominion over it. You can have dominion over the fish of the sea, the plant, the animals. Every creeping thing on
0: it will report to you. This is your kingdom. It is your domain rule over it. Which I think that's where the agnostic came from, because Thomas Jefferson kind of believed that. Sort of Ben Franklin, it's like God wound up the clock, put it on the, it's pieced out. You know what I mean? He gave us dominion, but... We'll we'll call on him when we really, really, really need him, but he peaced out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's where that teaching comes from because it was like he gave them dominion. Yeah. Cool. So then it's on me. You gave me this and you entrusted me, which they did supplicate the Lord for. You entrusted us with this Lord. Right. But we need your help. You know what I mean? And it's odd, too, because how they prayed and what they believed was odd when they said, Lord, we supplicated you so many times. And you answered graciously when we were talking about the Declaration. Well, now we're in this war. we got to sign this Constitution. We don't know what to do. And he answers in two weeks. You know, it was like there was just this whole process. So I think that's where... I'm sorry. I'm going off on a tangent, but I think it's good. Continue. Sorry. So God creates this. Out of love,
2: he gives it to us. He creates us and then says, this is yours to have dominion over. This is what you rule over. This is yours. Okay? So we had authority over... Everything. And so some people ask me, well, why did God cast Satan down to the same place where we are? And and I look at that very scripture and say it's right here. He gave us authority over every creeping thing. Okay? Now, if you consider just the bigger picture of that statement, Lucifer is in heaven as a archangel, okay, three leaders, and he's one of them. We believe he's the leader over the worship in heaven, okay? And he aspires to ascend to the level of God, and God not only throws him down to the earth, but then creates a mortal being and puts that mortal being in authority over him. It's crazy. Boom! Yeah. I mean, it's a statement. Not only did you mess this up, but I'm going to create this mortal being. Uh, actually, he's going to have eternal life. Uh, but his 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 makeup isn't doesn't even compare to yours. But he's going to rule over you. The problem is Satan comes into the garden where God has said, "Don't eat from this tree." Well, why did God put that tree in there? What was the point of putting an opportunity to fail? What kind of a God gives you an opportunity to fail? It's not an opportunity to fail. This is God saying, watch this. Watch me show you love. Because if you don't have a choice, then you can't actually love. You and I, if we don't have a choice, there's only two people on the planet uh, and and that's all we got, then there's no love, there's obligation, there's commitment because it's just us. But if I have a choice where every day I can say, God, I'm not going to choose something that you've told me not to do, I'm always going to be pressing toward you. That's a loving relationship. Satan comes in and deceives. That's what the scripture said he does. He says, do you want to be like God? Well, man, God created me. God is awesome. God's amazing. He made a garden for me. He gave me a wife. It's all beautiful. It's all wonderful. But he says to Eve, do you want to be like God? So she looks at this and says, it looks good. It tastes good. And it makes us wise. Let's be like God. So we eat it. Well, what we really did was say, God, at this point, we're not going to follow your instruction. We're going to follow Satan's instruction. So listen, anything you obey, you're submitted to. Right. Now he's given the authority over the earth to Satan. And a lot of people struggle with that. A lot of Christians struggle with that. Well, you're saying that Satan has authority over the earth. I'm saying, yes, he does, Mm -hmm. because man gave it to him. How do I prove that? You go to the temptation. You go when Jesus is in the wilderness, and he's fasted for 40 days, and Satan comes to him and says, well, if you're hungry, why don't you make these rocks into bread? And he says, man doesn't live by bread alone. But then he does this thing where he takes him up to a high place, and it says he shows him all of the kingdoms of the world and says, I will give you these. Satan says, Jesus, I will give you these if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus does not say, you don't have the right to give them to me. They're mine already. He says, I'm not going to bow to you. That's exactly it. Okay? And so his proclamation is, you may own it all, but I'm not going to bow to you. You may have authority over it all, but I'm not going to bow to you. And in not ever bowing to Satan is what gave him the right to reclaim the authority back. How does that work? Well. All men have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So there was no man that had ever walked out his life without somehow submitting to the prince of the power of this world, somehow submitting authority to Satan, except for Jesus. He never submitted to him. He came as a man. Why? Because God gave authority over the earth to man. And God's not going back on his word. He's allowing a man to get authority back for men. Jesus comes, doesn't submit to Satan, dies on the cross, takes on the sins of the world. Um, You know, I've said before that if Jesus had sinned while he was here, he'd be in the same boat you and I are condemned, all have sinned, all deserve this punishment. But since he didn't, he is righteous. He is in right standing with God. It makes him the only man that ever lived that was righteous in God when he died. Because of that, He gave his righteousness to us and took our condemnation. So he says, I'm right with God, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and die for your transgression. I'm going to go ahead and take your condemnation on me. And when I take your condemnation on me, I'm going to give you my righteousness. So now you are right with God because I've taken all the punishment. It works like this. Scripture says I'm hidden in Christ. So when I stand before God after physical death... God will say, why you? Why should you get come in? I can say, I wasn't worthy, but Christ took all the punishment for what I did wrong. So there is no punishment that's due to me. I'm in right standing that's with exactly you. Right. And I think God says, well done. You have put all your faith in the fact that Christ took all of that condemnation on himself so that now Christ takes that condemnation on himself. This is what we know. When man sinned, God tells him to leave the garden. There's a separation between man and God when sin occurs. Jesus is on the cross and all of man's sin is put on Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. And so when you hear this statement on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Why? Because now I have sin and you can't be in sin. So you have separated from me, and Jesus dies. He takes the consequence of sin upon himself, the condemnation, the punishment, and dies. Now, if this Jesus had died and never come back, we would just see him as this guy who could heal people and talk about God and talk about the kingdom and all that great, but when he died, he's gone and it's over, and the story ends. But he didn't. Through the Holy Spirit... He had the power to come back and say, death cannot hold me, and since it cannot hold me, I can give it to you, eternal life. I'll give you the same eternal life that I'm claiming, the power over death, which in Scripture is separation from right. God. You will not die the second death. Your body may die, but you will live with God eternally, putting your faith in me. So it's, it's a big story. And it's not complicated, but it is intricate.
0: It is very intricate. There's a lot of pieces
2: to really understanding what happened. But here's the beauty of walking in Christ. Because he was the man that got authority back on the earth, in Matthew 28, then he tells his disciples, I now have authority in heaven and on earth. Yep. So now Christ has authority on the earth again, and he says, therefore... Because I now have authority on the earth, therefore go and make disciples, go and heal the sick, cleanse the leopard, cast out That's the right. demon, go and teach them to all the things that I've commanded you, you command them to do, because now they're operating in my authority. I'm operating from a righteous place with authority. That's right. How does it get better than that? That's exactly How right. does it get better than... God sees me in right standing with him and gives me the authority not to have to succumb to this enemy. Right. So I don't run away from sin. I run to Christ. Yeah. I want to be more like him. I want to operate more like he operated.
0: Yeah, it was the love of Christ that drew us to him. It wasn't my sin that drew me to Christ. It was love that compelled me to come to him. Absolutely. And so, what would you say to the possible atheist, agnostic, whatever that says, what kind of a cruel God would send a son to die? Uh, Just had a conversation about this two days ago with
2: a man. Here's the story. God gives man authority over the earth. And through man's failure, he gives that authority to Satan. For God so loved the world that, listen, he gave his only begotten human son to get that authority back for man. That is totally an act of love. It's totally an act of love. It's a sacrificial love that says, That's the you lost it. I want you to get it back so much that I will send my son born of a virgin and yet conceived by the Spirit so that as a human, he can regain that authority so that you will have it back and he can give you everlasting life.
0: That's exactly the word. <laughs> that was so well put. I think... You know, because we've traveled to colleges and high schools, right. the theme of love is so misconstrued because love has become lust and selfishness. Yeah. Whereas real love is sacrificial in a lot of ways. It is sacrificial. Absolutely. It's not, it's, it's you. The Bible says putting uh, you know the needs of others in front of you, uh, making sure that the uh, bear one another's burdens. All these things. God giving His Son. Was love because of the, it was sacrificial to him? He's willing to give up that for you.
2: He's backing up his own words. Greater love has no man than he would lay down his life for another. Uh, and so his son becomes human and lays his life down for man. Greater love has That's no right. man than he would That's lay right, down man. his life for another.
0: I got one more question because we got. We usually stay about an hour and twenty minutes, but we're at about an hour eight. <laughs> so I'll cut this out. But this is good, man. <laughs> This is really good. Do you yeah. got anything, man?
2: No, say nothing, just man. You? You're just
0: like chilling. Well, Golly, sorry. I hate it, man, because I'm always like talking. You over there all silent and stuff like He's that. Sitting over there. He's sitting over there be convicted of his righteousness. <laughs> <laughs> He's thinking I'm pretty cool, dude. Going out and talking on, on college campuses and all these things, you, you see a lot of these big deals. Homosexual. I'm not going to talk to you ask you to talk about that. To me, those are mute points. Sin is sin. And, and, and when we address sin, it's sin. Um but this generation and the generation after and the generation before kind of grew up in this. I want you to kind of help pop the bubble here on the the don't offend me generation. <laughs> I'm so offended. Everything that you say is offensive. And you did a couple sermons on this. Yeah. And even when you say it, you can hear everybody in the crowd like, yeah, preach it, pastor. <laughs> you know, because who's going to talk about it? You know, we want butts in the seats. We don't want to hit anything controversial nowadays. Yeah. And I say that respectfully i don't mean to be mean about that but can you talk and address on this like the 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 offense and why that's happening and what we could do our best to correct it
2: listen to me if something is said to you it is either truth or it's a lie come on and if it's truth it benefits you and you accept it and if it's a lie why are you accepting it straight up so i don't get offended if you tell me something that's true about me, I have to accept that's true. He's calling it out in me. It's real. I can act offended, but I know it's truth, so I shouldn't be offended. I should take that as a truth. But if you're speaking something over me that's a lie, this is your issue, buddy. You're lying. I'm not receiving it. I'm not going to accept it, so I have no reason to be offended by it because it's not true about me. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's, it's, a, it's a simplistic answer to offense. Listen, you're either speaking the truth to me or you're speaking a lie to me. And if it's the truth, I need to accept it. I That's need to right. deal with it. If it's not the truth, why am I being offended? That's it's right. not true. That's right. It's not the truth, so I don't have to be offended by it because it's not an accurate statement. It's not a truth statement. So it really doesn't apply. You may think it, but I'm not offended because I know it's not truth.
0: Right. And I kind of want to hit it this way too. I think because of how they're taught, it's almost like, and this is a little bit deeper than how I'm going to go, but I think a lot of these young people have never had real love. And so they want acceptance in other things. And we had talked about this before. I think that's why a lot of these young people, um, because they're not at home seeking the Lord, they're not in the word, they're not, they'll want to go out to church, to church, to church to try to figure out a word from the Lord or something like that, because it's kind of a hot movement, the prophecy stuff. And all those things. I think too in college campuses because it's prevalent on college campuses and some high schools now that the offense thing. You know, it's all about offending me and I can't be offended. But do you think it's because I'm 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 going gonna, I'm gonna to say it bluntly? Maybe you can disseminate what I'm trying to say because they've been so spoiled to believe that life has no trial when Christ promised us trials and tribulations. Yeah. Be of good cheer, though. I overcame it. Right. I read this quote today. It said something about if you can't, if you take compliments to your head, uh, you, you'll you'll take. You you won't take criticism to the heart or something like that. It's it's basically, um, it's all about you and selfishness. When people around me and I consider you a mentor and my a leader in my life, and you're teaching me how to do this pastor stuff as you're learning, right? I'm learning it too. Um, but there's been times you sat me down and said, "Bro, let's just get this straight." You know what I mean? And I receive it that way. I think I just naturally receive it. But in this generation of people, it's almost like they've been taught life's just easy peasy. Don't worry about it. And we got to shelter them. And we have to do all these things. They hit the real world. And they want this acceptance that they didn't get. I don't know what it is. I can't explain it.
2: I I think it's maybe twofold. And I think that the first half of the puzzle is uh, in our society today, there is notoriety and attention for being a victim. Bingo. Okay. So if I can tell you my hard luck story, then you will say, wow. You've been through a lot, and I've received a salve. (laughs) I got an attention. I got something drawn to me. So people will make their stories worse than they really were when they occurred, such that it gives them the opportunity to have somebody say, wow, you've had it rougher than me. So in, in all of the Sue Happy Society and all of that kind of thing, there is a glory in suffering made from... Uh, my case is worse than yours, you know, uh, and I and I think that's just sad. On the other half, and this is a generational thing, there truly was a generational gap, uh, and and I'm gonna say it was probably in the 80s for the most part, when the the whole mentality of self-esteem came out. Mm-hmm that that the generations of our fathers and our grandfathers who became strong because they were beat down yeah. but they survived and they recognized who they are and they went forward that changed Two, make sure and not do anything that would hurt them or make them feel bad about themselves. Make sure and always build them up. And, 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 and my first wife was a school teacher, and she used to always tell it this way, "I'm so sick of mothers who their fifth grader gets out of the car and shuts the door and they yell out, "Oh, you shut that door so well." It's like, really? You need to be complimented for shutting a door. Like, like, so you're going to be offended if, if somebody doesn't tell
0: you you're a good door shutter. No, I'm saying
2: she used it oh, as an oh, example. Oh, I was going
0: to say, man, dang. All right, we're
2: getting a little far. But what I'm saying is because of this self-esteem thing, I always had to build you up. Well, the problem is life doesn't always build you up. No, man. And, no. and the truth is when I got kicked, I learned a whole lot. Dang right. And when I lost the game, I didn't get a trophy And it made me want to work harder to win a game so I could see what it feels like to get a trophy. So, you know, we raised this generation of, I'm so worried about your feelings that I won't ever tell you the truth because it might hurt you. So now the truth offends you and the lie offends you Mm. because being a victim gives me a story. That's
1: exactly right. And we've we've done away with the truth of love. Um, So now love is comforting somebody. And, and like you said, feelings, right? The attachment of yep. feelings, because there was a whole psycho- psychology movement in the 80s that really pushed this build self-esteem. Yep. Then your kid will become more confident. They'll be able to handle the world better, which actually got it completely opposite because you learn your confidence and self-esteem through your trials right. when you come out on the other side. And so this whole movement pushed this, and I feel like love got twisted and perverted into something where it's all about the, the good feeling. So if I tell you the truth
2: and the truth hurts, suddenly I'm not loving you anymore. It, I'm it, hurting you. You see you know? this mostly recently. Let's, let's, let's bring it from the 80s into the current. Let's say the last five years. Yeah. The last five years, this has played out this way. Don't judge me.
1: Yeah.
2: It's not right for you to judge me. And I'm saying, I'm not judging you. I'm giving you a fact about you and it's truth. And you can either accept it and become better, Mm. or I'm lying about you, in which case you shouldn't be accepting it and just move on. But the don't judge me movement is really the next step from the build your self-esteem by telling you you're doing everything great and you're doing everything wonderful. Now, when you tell me I'm not doing wonderful, it's because you're judging me. Uh, It's a trap. It's a trap.
0: It's, yeah, It's, it's kind of like, in, and I'm reading Romans 5 And I was going to go to James and all that stuff But just listen to this, it was even Paul it said in Romans 5 He said, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings They rejoice in the suffering And I preached on this before But you rejoice in the suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and That's like flat out contrary that. Contrary to like the psychology of today The suffering produces endurance Endurance produces character <laughs> That's what he's after the character of a man, the character of a Christian, mm-hmm. it's not just you professing Christ. He's literally building in you how to prove your own ministry. Pro- and, and ministry doesn't mean I wear the robe and the cloth and I have a little plaque on my desk and all these things. And then he says this, and produce, uh, knowing suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces uh, character, and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame. And it's almost like if you keep putting into these young people, and I say young people, that... Love doesn't offend. Love doesn't tell the truth. And it's funny because in 1 John 3, 18, it says that, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, right? First deeds, though. Make sure you show them you love them before you tell them you love them, right? And and it says this, because the love that's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us, right? It's a little different than how I usually read it, but basically it's that when Paul gloried, he gloried in his trials. He didn't glory in the fact that he was a good guy, God saved him, and he keeps puffing me up with words. It was, I glory in this because I see the suffering, but I also see, and he used to say this to his, uh, his the other uh, disciples, he would say, it's because in my bounds you abounded. Yeah. Through his suffering, they abounded as a church. Yeah. The more they were persecuted, the church abounded. That's, that's a whole other tangent, but... You know, I, I think I look at that progression that he shows, uh,
2: and the bottom line is... Um, if I go through a trial and I consider it joy that I'm going to go through this suffering because it's going to create in me a perseverance and that perseverance is going to create in me a hope, a character. Um, what I'm really saying is, uh, tonight on your way home, you total your car. It's a terrible thing. You're thinking financially, what does that mean to me? It's an awful deal. Uh, and, and and you've got to go deal with the insurance, and you got to get another car, and it, it takes forever, and it stresses you out in the whole bit. Well, that's kind of a tragedy of sorts. Mm. But let's say your wife gets cancer, and. You go through the whole chemo process for two years and watching her puke every night and the nausea and all of the doctor visits and all of that kind of thing. Uh, and she comes out on the other side of that strong and viable and clear of that cancer after having gone through that journey. Now, let me change the order. Let's say you went through that and now you total your car. Hmm. Is totaling your car anything? It's nothing. See, because once you've been through a trial, it's going to prepare you for the next. Mm. And the tougher trial you go through, the less in your life becomes a trial. In other words, my wife died. That's a fact. I went through that. Wrecking my car means nothing. Losing my job means nothing. Why? Because I've already been through a trial that makes those things pale by comparison. And in that, there was a character and a hope of a future and a beautiful God and all of those things built so that when I go through trials now, I have the character to say, this isn't going to overcome me. Mm -hmm. I have the hope to say, I'll get past this. It's it's not anything major. So my life becomes more mature and complete because I've gone through a trial. Mm -hmm. So if you never face a trial then everything is a trial. But the bigger and bigger trials you face, the more and more things become
0: less of a trial. Amen. And you'll never really know victory. Like, you can't understand victory until you've understood, really, the failure, the defeat of it. I preached on that this morning. I was at my kid's school, and I I sat up on my bed, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to teach on today? And he said, endurance. I'm like, endurance? What does that mean? And so, obviously, I went to the scriptures that talk about endurance and patience and perseverance and all these things. But it was like, I just kept that theme in my heart. You will never taste and see, you know, until you pick the fruit. And sometimes the fruit's way up on the tree. Yeah. And you got to try yourself and test yourself. And that's a lame analogy, but it's true, right? You'll never understand victory. I'll ne- I did not understand the provider who God is until we lost everything two years ago, a year and a half ago. It's exactly what I'm saying. It was, And, and now it's like <sighs> living in an RV, no big deal. You know, living in someone's, no big deal. Uh, uh, living on the cheap, no, nothing, it doesn't bother me anymore. No, nothing in this, and I, and I can say this with confidence, thank God, I wouldn't have understand, uh, understood that had I not been through it. Um. I could not have understood okay, it. Okay, now, so where you are today...
2: Consider it a joy that you went through that trial because of now how much peace you have over the other trials. They're just not as big. They're just not. When I face them, I'm like, this is all overcomable. I have a peace about it. I'm not concerned about it because I've dealt with bigger. I've dealt with bigger. So I can consider it joy when I go through a trial because it's actually building my faith in my character such that other things are no longer a trial for me.
0: Amen. It's a blessing. It is a blessing. I mean, I kind of, I like my son, my my son Nathan has kind of my attitude on a lot of things. He was like the one cheering when we flipped. (laughs) He was in the (laughs) chair, he was like, yeah, do it again, you know, and he saw it, I think the right way, like to him, it was just, okay, my other two boys were freaking out, you know, and my wife, too, she kind of freaked out a little bit. And I remember, this is so stupid. I remember I called you. I was still in the truck. You were. It was flipped upside on the side. And I called him like, hey, we're good. We're just flipped upside. What are you calling me for? Call the cops. <laughs> I, I did. They're on the way. I just want to let you know, man. We flipped. And I, it, it's funny because I don't ever react like that. Typically, I used to get really upset when something bad would happen. And this was the first two years of ministry where I was like, no money for this. Uh, struggle with that. Someone canceled here. People are back talking us. You know, all these things would happen. Uh, family would come against you. Uh, death in the family. All these things were just hitting us for two years straight. When that <laughs> happened, it was, was almost. It was almost God put us in the situation of there's nothing I can do, and I'm okay with that now. Yeah. And then it just left. And then things began to make sense. I appreciated. This is what's odd too. When that happened, I appreciated everything He gave me more. Yeah. I, I wanted to hug my wife more, my kids. I wanted to now pour into them, because dude, life's a vapor, bro. Like yeah. it, like hit me so hard. I got forty more years. I turned thirty eight next week. You know, it's like I've got literally forty more years to make a dent in this world because God called me to do it. And it's like, what am I putting into my kids? Am I focusing? You know what I mean? So like, the trial right. almost brings you a perspective of what He gave you. Sure. And, it, and it's and it's unique. I don't know. It was a really good topic. I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that, but. uh <laughs>
1: I think the the outlook of that you know as we follow Christ look Christ overcame all for us. And so when we see that overcoming and we know it's all for him, right? And that's that was what Paul, Peter, John were all working on, right? Was it's all for him. So it it whatever Amen. whatever I have to give up it's for him. When we work on that we work on the, the mentality of the trial is there, the suffering is there, what is it going to produce within me? Yeah. Whereas the world sees a trial or suffering as one more obstacle to In hold my them way, back to
0: complain about, yeah. from getting where they want to go. Do you remember when Paul said that? When he said, I count all things but loss, they're dung, for for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, right? Just before that, he was talking about all of his trials. I've been through all this this is nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so crazy. Like if, if we can grasp that you're going to walk through life with joy, you can walk through life with joy. Of course you're going to get upset. Of course things bother you, but not the way that they used to. It didn't hold you down. Yeah. There's no more fear. So man, it's already an hour. We got to do this again. Cause there's more issues. I, w- I could I want to break it apart. There's like so much to, to, to talk about. Now, I want to say thank you. Um, yeah. Your, your, your dear mentor. Um, someone asked me yesterday, who, who do you, who pours into you? I'm like, Pastor Todd's, I a partner every day. <laughs> <laughs> Asking him a question about something. And I'm like, I hope he doesn't get sick of me, man. Cause like I'm learning I, from I, his mistakes. Yeah. And, and, it, and it is like, and he's like, Yeah, this is how I want This is how I did it once. You don't want to do it that way. Oh, got it. <laughs> Rock and roll. Right. And, but it, you, you've, you've taken me under your wing in a sense. And, and you've, you've been nothing but gracious to me and my family. And, um, I respect you, man. Like I respect you hundred percent. And I don't, I don't have a lot of that. In my life, you know, where, where people actually believe in you and they see something in you. And uh, I want to say thank you for that. But thank you for coming on the show because uh, uh, it's cool to have a different perspective. Sometimes it's cool to have someone who's in the trenches every day dealing with the mundane. And I find that God's more and more in the mundane. It's in the everyday little things. It's not just a new experience, which I used to love. Was Every day was a new thing, man. When I'd go out and travel and tour and preach, and all. you know, God's more in this. You know, I find more faith in this. He's yeah. building my faith in all these things. And so I want to say thank you, and um, I want to do this again. I really do. For sure. This this was killer. You got anything to add? Because I'm going to call us out. No. Guys, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Today we got like six sound bites out of this man Six like (laughs) ten minute deals out of this man This is good stuff right It's gonna have like four or five different highlight videos Guys tune into the If if you guys haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel Please get on there Click that little bell You know what happens when you click that little bell It tells you every time a new video comes out And we're putting them out a lot Also too go on our Twitter Go on our Instagram Go on our Facebook If you go to Self Evident Ministry You can find us there Or me Massey Campos That's Brittany That's his daughter She always does this. She goes Massey you love me She always does that to me And I do She's awesome uh also too if you have not checked out our news sources we're on spotify now if you guys go to apple music or uh apple podcast we're on there as well guys thank you so much for tuning in i hope you guys got something out of this please leave all of your comments we love the negative ones too we answer all of them and they're awesome when we get them thank you guys again god bless you we'll see you next week all right love you guys